Welcome to the Essential Self-Care Podcast, where we talk about all things self-care for those of us who are, let's face it, too busy for self-care. It's time to bring that same compassion that you offer to everyone else in your life to yourself as well. In this podcast, you'll hear real life stories of how self-care transformed people's lives as they were going through life's storms. You'll learn practical, actionable tools to begin the self-care journey yourself as well. Because like I always say, small changes make a large impact. I'm your host, Dr. Sheetha Lajmani. I'm a physician, best-selling author, and the founder of Radiant Living Institute. Through my signature program, Reclaim Your Radiance, you'll reclaim your worth, renew your energy, and restore your happiness in your life, career, and relationships. To get started, download your free guidebook, Six Simple Yet Powerful Steps to Create Your Radiant Life at RadiantLivingInstitute.com. Quick disclaimer before we get started, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Always seek the advice of your own medical practitioner and or mental health provider about your specific situation. Now, let's get started. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Monisha Vasa to the Essential Self-Care Podcast. Dr. Vasa and I have been connected for years now, and she is truly a remarkable woman, physician, poet, and friend. She bridges years of being a medical doctor and psychiatrist with years of writing as a therapeutic tool to support individuals in creating a peaceful, meaningful, and inspired life. It is with this intention that she offers her professional services to anyone looking to reflect on their own personal calling and how to live out that calling with mindful, self-compassionate presence. Today, Dr. Vasa is going to share a bit about her self-care journey. Welcome to the Essential Self-Care Podcast, Dr. Vasa. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm so excited you're able to join us today. And Dr. Vasa, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about an instance in your life where self-care became no longer an option, but an absolute priority? And then what sort of tools or modalities did you turn to at that time? That's a great question. Um, thank you. Yeah, I can think of a couple of really important transitions or stages in my life where I felt like self-care really became more of a life raft rather than something that felt optional. I would say the first was when I really started my practice as a psychiatrist and realized that if I wanted to be of use to my patients, I needed to figure out how to be sustainable myself. And the second point was probably once I had children, kind of for a similar reason that if I wanted to be of any use to them, I really had to figure out what self-care practices were going to really get me through the days and the nights because it was really quite an unexpected up and down type of journey. And so I would say those were probably the two main life transitions where I realized self-care is not something that is theoretical or optional or even kind of something trendy that we might read about, you know, from the media, but really something that is a part of how we survive and how we sustain ourselves and how we cultivate our own resilience. I would say in terms of the tools and practices that were most critical for me, I think that they have been kind of the same tools over time, but I use different ones at different times and to varying degrees based on what I feel I need uh, on any given day. But probably my core practices, um, the first I would say is journaling. Uh, that is, has been a steady practice. And by steady practice, I don't mean that I do it every day, but something that I steadily turn to when I feel I need my own support. The second I would say is running. Um, I love to run outdoors and in nature, and I'm 
grateful to have the privilege to be able to access nature nearby to where I live. And so that kind of time alone in movement in nature has been a real critical practice of mine as well. And then I would, I would say the third is my mindfulness and meditation practice. And then psychotherapy too, over the years, I would say has been a critical part of my own self-care as well. So these would probably be the, the four things that I've returned to over and over again in some form or fashion over time. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing a bit more about your journey. And I just want to sort of reflect on some of what you shared. First of all, I found it interesting that you had mentioned that it was really during these pivotal transition times in your life when you experienced some major life changes with starting your practice, with having children. I feel like those times of transition in our life often are times where we are really called to search deeper as things in our external world begin to shift. Those are also often times that we're called deeper to search within ourselves to make those pivots and shifts as well to adjust to that transition. So I thought that was really interesting. And I also wanted to reflect on this idea that you shared that you have turned to different tools and modalities of self-care at different times. And that's something I, I talk about a lot as well. And I really believe in is kind of building our toolbox yes. of self-care tools. And that can happen over time that we build our toolbox as we try and explore different modalities of self-care. But then we have this toolbox that we can turn to when we need to, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it may not necessarily be that you, you know, say you've tried five different things, that you're doing all five of those things every single day. It may or may not right. be that, just depending on your situation. But it may be that you know that you're going through this specific situation and, hey, I think journaling is going to be really helpful right now. Or, mm -hmm. hey, I think running is what I need right now. And so I think that's important to know as well that it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of using all the self-care modalities mm -hmm. all at the same time or stressing ourselves out about trying to use all of them. <laughs> but knowing that you're building yourself a toolbox that you can turn to and that you can use and call upon when you need it. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with both of those points. And, you know, to comment on what you mentioned about transitions, I think that's so true. And I think the maybe one important thing to point out about both of those transitions in my life were they were what we would call, you know, good transitions, quote unquote, good transitions or positive transitions, like, like so many other transitions, like moving into a new home, getting married, having kids, starting a new job. You know, these are things that we've worked for and we look forward to and we see as accomplishments or successes in our life. And it can be really helpful to remember that even positive transitions can still carry many layers of both loss and stress within those transitions. And so sometimes we can be a little bit caught off guard by that. And so turning to our self-care practices often gives us a space to reflect on the complexity of those transitions and what are we losing? What are we gaining? What does that mean for us? What are the significance of these transitions? And so I think sometimes we think, oh, this is just going to be a really fun, light, positive thing that I've been looking forward to for years and years. And we can get a little bit caught off guard by the emotional intensity that comes along with those and, and the need to actually lean into those practices. So it can be really helpful to remember that even those 
you know, quote unquote, positive transitions can stir up a lot for us emotionally, as well as physically, and that self care can be especially critical during those times. And yeah, with regards to a great point, I just want to reflect on that real quickly, because I think that's a really great point that you bring up and something that we may not always think about that life, you know, when we talk about life transitions, often we think about things like losing a job, losing a loved one, going through a divorce or a health diagnosis or something like that, these sort of quote unquote negative life transitions, but these quote unquote positive (laughs) life transitions, as you described, while they do carry, you know, significant amounts of perhaps happiness, joy, excitement. Mm-hmm. And they can also, you know, I think a key word is knowing that all of these emotion, different types of emotions can exist at the same time. Same time. So knowing right. that, and you may experience some feelings of grief yes, as well, yes. because anytime something new is starting or developing, it does also by nature mean that something old is is ending is ending (laughs) Ending or changing or falling away or changing or it's looking a little bit differently in your life or showing up differently in your life and so knowing that that can be part of the process and and like you said a lot of times we can feel caught off guard like hey and maybe even judge ourselves for that Mm. of feeling like hey I'm going through this experience that everyone says I should be so happy but I'm feeling why am I feeling this sense of loss or or Mm -hmm. or loneliness or emptiness or whatever it may be of of grief and just knowing that both of those can exist at the same Mm -hmm. time, even during these quote unquote positive life transitions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think with the the more challenging moments in our life, like you said, a diagnosis or losing a relationship or or loss of a loved one. In fact, some ways it's easier to actually organize emotionally around those times because we expect the challenging emotions. We can solicit support. We often realize like, okay, this is going to be a time where I need to shore up my support systems, my mental and physical well-being, because I know this is going to be a difficult time that's ahead of me. Whereas during these other types of transitions, you know, we don't necessarily organize around them in the same way. And as you said, we can often feel so many conflicting emotions and then also feel guilty or confused as to why we feel that way. And then on top of that, usually times of transition are a little chaotic, you know, things are in flux, um, whether that's our physical location, our sleep, our overall lifestyle, our routine. And and so when things are in flux and in, in change in that way, it actually becomes a little harder to practice our self-care because the opportunities don't organically pr- you know, present themselves or we have to very intentionally ask for help so that we have the, the time and opportunity to, to put those things into place. So the idea of how to practice self-care during these types of transitions, I think, does require some planning and kind of intentional effort or focus, if you will, because, yeah, it doesn't necessarily naturally occur to us, nor do the opportunities naturally present themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to ask you a bit of a follow-up question here. So as you were going through these transitions, and you had mentioned that these sort of four main self-care modalities that you've turned to, that that you've had these as part of your life, even prior to some of these transitions, uh, but these were kind of these tools in your toolbox that you were able to draw upon during those times in your life. And those were journaling, running outside in nature, mindfulness, as well as therapy. I'm curious during those timeframes, even though you had these all within your toolbox, what did you find 
challenging about turning to those self-care modalities when you were in these situations of life transition? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point because I think a lot of the popular conceptions around self-care, I think are often that it's a little bit self-indulgent, you know, that it's something about I think the way that it's framed in the media, you know, kind of girls night out or bubble bath or, you know, I mean, I think that this is often how we see self-care portrayed. And I think that actually leaning into our self-care practices can be challenging for a variety of reasons. One, we have to create the time and opportunity somehow. So, I mean, I've had the privilege of at times having help, for example, having family support or having a husband who steps in to kind of pick up some of whether it's, you know, childcare responsibilities or household duties so that I can then take 20 minutes to go for that run, you know, or I can take 10 minutes to go and sit, you know, in meditation. There are certain things that I think really are a privilege to have, you know, even those opportunities in place to begin with. Like I said, even the privilege of being able to access nature in a safe space outside of my home. But often too, you know, creating the time has meant really kind of sacrificing other things. I mean, to be honest, to run or to journal, I do wake up probably an hour early earlier than I would prefer to wake up, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm tired, I don't necessarily want to wake up at, you know, five or 530 in the morning, but I do recognize if I can make that happen, the rest of my day does tend to go much more smoothly, but does it mean that I am kind of squeezing it a little bit into sort of the battered, you know, battered <laughs> bookends of the day early morning or, or late at night when there when there is some degree of exhaustion? Absolutely. And then also, I think the other challenging part is that sometimes, you know, self-care does mean that we might find ourselves coming face to face with certain emotions or thoughts that are difficult to experience or navigate. You know, when you're journaling, there's a lot that could come up that you're then looking at the words on the page and being like, wow, I didn't really realize I felt this way or wow, I just identified something in my life that needs to change. And that's going to be a little bit tricky or complicated. And so we do find, I think, especially with self-care practices that maybe offer more contemplation or a little bit more reflection, that there might be challenging emotions that arise and that we need to over time also develop ways of sitting with those emotions and tolerating them. So yeah, I would say there have been times that I didn't necessarily want to journal because I knew I'm like, I don't really think I want to think about that right now when what I know is going to come out on the page or, you know, sometimes when most of the time when I run. I prefer to run without music or not listen to anything just to, you know, be with myself. But sometimes I'm like, no, I think I actually need a little distraction right now because I know whatever's coming up for, for me emotionally is going to be challenging. So I think this idea that self-care is, is all about kind of self-indulgence and, you know, pampering. And I think sometimes it can be portrayed as a little bit frivolous. Whereas I think for some of us, the practices that do offer us relief and that feel meaningful at the same time can also be challenging, whether it's actually figuring out how to make them happen on an operational way on a day-to-day basis, or to dealing with what actually comes up when you're practicing those tools. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all such wonderful points. 
And I feel like we could go on and on talking about this. I just want to reflect on one thing from what you shared. And, and that is one thing that came to me as you were describing that is that self-care really is taking that time to connect with yourself, right? You're caring for yourself. Mm -hmm. You are truly connecting with yourself. And in those spaces and modalities that you described, the journaling, the running, the mindfulness, the therapy, all of those modalities, you are connecting with yourself and taking time out of kind of the busyness of your day to do so, which so often we tend to to not do. We tend to stay distracted in our day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life. And so in those moments, yes, sometimes these unexpected things can come up, but also thinking of it that this is that time to care for yourself, connect mm -hmm. with yourself. And like you said, sometimes those things that are coming up are giving you messages to pivot in some way or mm -hmm. to process something, which ultimately then helps you to more intentionally respond to situations in your life as opposed mm -hmm. to coming in a very reactive state. And I also like that you mentioned, you know, sometimes you'd go for a run and you just knew, well, maybe right now I do need to be a little distracted. Mm -hmm. And what I like about sharing with that is that sometimes intentional distraction Correct. can be helpful yes. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is no doubt a role for distraction, you know, especially when we're using it with awareness and, and wisdom, you know? And so, yeah, if we're, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, I know that I would probably, that the, the best use of my next half hour would probably be to journal for that time. But you know what, I'm actually just going to watch a show on Netflix because that's where I'm at right now. And all of it is about the awareness that we bring to it ultimately, right? It's like the recognition that like, okay, right now, this, this may not be the moment that I'm ready to kind of do a deeper dive into my emotions, but I just need something that maybe is a little bit more surface and distracting for now. And then there's going to be another time where I really do know I need to lean into that, that process. And then it's going to ultimately, ultimately be more helpful for me to, you know, take that run or to, or to journal. And so, you know, as you said, the, the ultimate guiding intention or principle is one of kindness and care and connection with ourselves. And so we really are trying to minimize being rigid with our practices or being dogmatic about how they need to look or becoming self-critical if we don't do them in a certain way, because we have plenty of other places in our life where we can do that. These are supposed to be the places that are a respite from, from that mode of being in the world, you know? And so, yeah, sometimes we, we can be like, oh, you know, I journaled eight days in a row and then I missed a day and then we sort of throw it all out, out the window, you know, it's like, no, it's perfectly fine to do it for a few days and then to not do it for a few days and then to return or to scribble a sentence on a napkin that counts too, or to type something into your phone that counts too. So just really small, flexible, kind steps. Those are sort of the guiding principles, no matter what your practice is, you know, those are the guiding principles that we would want anyone to approach a self-care practice with. Absolutely. And I think that is a beautiful point and insight and takeaway for us to wrap up this episode with. Thank you so much for being here. It's always such a pleasure to chat with you. If anyone wants to learn a little bit more about you and the work that you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Probably the best place is my website, which is just uh, my name, monishavasa.com or uh, my Instagram, which is my handle is Dr. Monishavasa, um, Dr. Monishavasa. And 
that's probably the most central place to find um, my different activities and offerings and and things that I'm that I'm doing. So yeah, I would love to connect with anybody in your audience who wants to find out more. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'll include those links in the show notes. Thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a positive review, and share this episode with someone you know. And remember, your free guide, Six Simple Yet Powerful Steps to Create Your Radiant Life, is waiting for you at radiantlivinginstitute.com. Download it today.